Hello, listeners. I'm glad you're here today. Today's sermon is on a very difficult topic, hell or outer darkness, as the Gospel of Matthew describes it. What's the purpose of hell? Is there a literal hell? This topic is certainly difficult and will cause us to stretch our thinking and our theology. That's what I was doing in the beginning of the sermon, stretching, which caused a bit of laughter. So I hope this sermon stretches you and your view of God. The scripture for today is Matthew 25, 14 through 30, which tells the parable of the talents. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once, the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, Throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
Some passages just require a little extra stretching before we wrestle with them. I hope that you are seeing a thread that the author, A.J. Levine, is pulling through the chapters of this book. Now, some of the difficult words are difficult because we may tend to read them literally or out of context or culture. I mean, I bet you did a double take when you entered the sanctuary or the live stream and you saw this verse on the screen. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It, it's so shocking when taken out of context. And it should be because scripture is meant to be read as a whole, not as just separate snippets that you can pull out and use for different reasons than what was originally intended. Now this verse comes at the very end of a parable, the parable of the talents. Now often this parable is uh, used and studied during a stewardship emphasis. So good news, we won't be talking about money today. <laughs> now bad news, or good news, depending on your view of the topic, we will be talking about hell or eternal punishment. So who would rather talk about money? <laughs> yes. And I will have to say that more than one of you have asked, did you draw the short stick? <laughs> This is just how our schedules work. So, well, we will explore this difficult verse and we begin with the context. So the parable of the talents. Well, first off, let us remember that it was a parable, a story that Jesus told to uh, teach his disciples something important. It didn't actually happen. Jesus did not condemn someone to outer darkness, nor call someone a worthless slave. According to the author of Matthew, now again, remember this is the gospel of Matthew's perspective. Jesus tells this parable in the middle of several other parables that tell the disciples what they should do while they await Jesus' return. Well, Jesus instructs them to build up the kingdom, to carry out his work during this time of waiting. And so he uses this parable to, um, some people feel that it's an allegory, and they read it as Jesus is the master, and the slaves are the disciples. So a little sidebar, we've already covered the word slave uh, two weeks ago and how we uh, use that term appropriately in our discussions and understanding. So I'm going to substitute the word slave with disciples 
to make it more relevant for us. We don't really identify ourselves as slaves today, so I don't want us to miss the opportunity to see ourselves in this parable. Okay, so the master entrusts his property to his disciples to maintain it and build it up while he is away. Now we can see how Jesus could be the master. So let's see what the disciples do with the talents. Well, two of the disciples perform well according to their potential. When the master returns, they are rewarded for their faithfulness and hard work. The third disciple does not perform at all and is reprimanded for his laziness and failure. There seems to be a reward and punishment system for successful faithfulness and evangelism. Hmm. I'm not so sure about that. If this is the system they are working in, what does this parable tell us about the master? I mean, we don't know anything about the master really, except that he has property and entrusts it to his disciples while he is away. Yet we can see more about what the master is like through the disciples' eyes. The first two disciples perceive the master to be approachable as they come to him and tell him how they increased the kingdom. Their relationship with the master is one that is built on trust and mutual respect. However, the third disciple perceives the master as harsh. He fearfully reports on his lack of increasing the kingdom and tells the master that he knows how he would react to his failure, so he did nothing in order to protect himself. The master reacts exactly as the disciple predicts. He calls him worthless and sends him to eternal damnation. Almost sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if Jesus is the master in this parable, we see two sides of Jesus. Kind and rewarding with those who perform well, yet angry and punishing for those who don't. Does that sound like Jesus to you? Not the, not the Jesus I know and love. I mean, yes, Jesus holds people accountable, but out of love and care. What I find most interesting about this parable is that the disciples and their understanding of Jesus are similar. The first two see Jesus as just and worthy to serve, so they put their trust in him and live their lives by emulating who they understand Jesus to be. They become who they perceive Jesus to be. 
and enter into joy with him. The third disciple sees Jesus as cruel and punishing, someone to fear, someone who is not just nor worthy to serve. And so this disciple too emulates who he understands Jesus to be. He becomes cruel and punishing. He lashes out at Jesus and blames him for his fear and lack of trust and therefore is thrown into outer darkness where there is sadness, anger, and misery. I'm not so sure there is a reward and punishment system for faithfulness, but it seems more like we become who we believe Jesus to be. If we believe that Jesus is love, then we become love, and that is a reward. But if we believe that Jesus is cruel and punishing, then we become cruel and punishing, miserable in outer darkness, which would seem like a punishment. What is outer darkness anyway? Only Matthew uses this term. Other biblical writers and the Hebrew text use other terms to describe similar places like Sheol, Abaddon, Gehenna, Hades, Hell, and Lake of Fire. The most common in the Hebrew text is Sheol, which is described as a dark place away from God, where both the righteous and the unrighteous go. It's not a place for punishment. It's a place of waiting, a place of separation from the light. Now, Abaddon and Gehenna are described as places of destruction. However, the Hebrew text says people are rescued from these places not sentenced to them. Now, Paul never uses the word hell or eternal punishment in his letters, but says that Jesus will rescue us from the wrath that is coming. Now, it wasn't until Greek mythology and folklore that influenced these places to be punishment the triumph of good over evil and the idea of eternal judgment explained the first century world view. A reward and punishment system helped to justify martyrdom, that those who died for their faith would find justice in the afterlife, and those who executed them would be held accountable. People who could not obtain justice in this world would wait for God's eternal justice on Judgment Day. And justice to them was punishment and torture. The reward and punishment system for faithfulness continued 
as Christianity formed, and it was taught that Christians receive heaven as a reward and non-Christians receive hell as a punishment. Well, obviously it worked then because some still believe this is how Christianity works. Hell or the threat of punishment was used for power and control. Fear and guilt scared people into believing. But I think many people today realize those tactics don't work for long-term faith and even cause more harm. Yet, according to the Pew Research Center, 58% of Americans believe in a literal hell. Maybe it's because we still live in a reward and punishment system in this world. For those who perform like the first two disciples are rewarded for their success. Whereas those who are lazy and fearful, who do nothing, are punished. Or we want them to be punished because it's not fair. I mean, why should they receive the same reward for doing nothing? Well, that's our system or idea of justice. But God's justice is different. We all receive God's grace for doing absolutely nothing. Yes, we have to open our hearts to receive it. But there are many who remain in fear in outer darkness because of their understanding of who God is. Maybe that is punishment enough. Living in fear and thinking that no matter what they do, nothing will be good enough for the master seems like a special kind of hell. Feeling closed off and separated from Jesus with the perception that God is a punishing God must feel like living in outer darkness. In her book, A.J. Levine described outer darkness as a black hole. The phenomenon that occurs when massive stars die and they collapse in on themselves. The gravitational pull of a black hole is so strong that it sucks other stars into it. Since even light cannot escape, black holes are invisible, and the only way they can be detected is through locating the pull they exert on nearby objects. 
The idea of a literal place that pulls in everything around it and counters light and life and even existence seems hellish. Maybe that's why so many people believe in a literal hell because they've experienced it here on earth. They felt like they are sucked into a dark vacuum and don't know how to get out. So what's the purpose of hell anyway? I mean, why would a God who lovingly enters into a covenant with us want to punish us? Why would the God who gives us free will condemn us to eternal torment if we don't make the right choice? That doesn't seem like free will. That seems like conditional love where we only receive God's grace if we do what God wants us to do. That seems like our system, not God's. I confess, sometimes I enjoy thinking about a literal hell that will punish those who are not held accountable in this life. And I'd like to think there's a special place of torment for violent offenders and child predators and mass shooters and those who prey on the elderly, especially widows. But why stop there? How about those who cut me off in traffic, <laughs> steal my parking place, and eat my last piece of birthday cake? <laughs> but that's my own evilness that wants punishment for those who escape my idea of justice, not God's. The idea of hell as punishment boils down to how we view God. If we believe God is a bully who is cruel and punishing, then we may believe in hell as punishment, like the third disciple in the parable. But if we believe that God is love and merciful, like the other two disciples, then maybe God does rescue us from the outer darkness. If we perceive God to be fearful and harsh like the third disciple, maybe God looks more like us. And we like to say that we are made in God's image, but often we construct God in our image. From my understanding, the one consistent image of God throughout the Bible is love. And I just can't imagine that the God who loves us and longs to be near us would just give up on us and send us to where stars die. 
So hear the good news. Jesus is the God of compassion who saves us from corrupt systems that we create. Jesus, the master of the universe, pulls us back from the black holes. Jesus, the one who entrusts us with his own work, stretches us and shapes us into beings of love. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope you are still doing your one-word check-ins. We'll be back to those on September the 22nd. Hope you'll return weekly for our one-word check-in together.